Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Ravelet, Associate Vice President of Professional and Educational Development at the University of Louisville's Health Sciences Center. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Professional and Educational Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Health Professions Education. We'll come together and use this podcast to bring professional and educational development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Welcome to Faculty Feed, everyone. I am thrilled with our guest today. We have Dr. Caroline Boswell, and she is from the Delphi Center. Welcome, Caroline. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start about telling us uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got to Louisville and all that good stuff? I am uh, originally from outside of Chicago, um, and actually my background is in, believe it or not, early modern British history, right? So uh, I was a faculty member at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay for 13 years, um, and it's an interdisciplinary institution, so I was a faculty member of both history and humanities. During my time there, I kind of traveled a various different paths um, where I was vice chair of the humanities, budgetary chair of the humanities, and then I got really invested in teaching and learning, and I became the director of their Center for Teaching and Learning. From there, I came here to the University of Louisville to be a faculty development specialist in the Delphi Center. Uh, And then when Marie Brown left her position a few years ago, I became acting co-associate director of teaching and learning. So what is your role like at UofL? I work closely with faculty. I work with faculty one-on-one. Faculty are interested in improving outcomes for their students. Uh, Faculty are interested in creating more inclusive learning environments for their students. Uh, Faculty are interested in uh, evaluating and studying the effects of their teaching interventions on student success, student outcomes. Uh, And I do this in multiple ways. Um, I help facilitate programs we run at the Delphi Center. I help identify and create resources to provide for faculty. And increasingly, I work with uh, faculty or offices and areas on um, strategic initiatives or interventions that are designed explicitly to lead to greater outcomes for students uh, that are measurable. And we'll be working with faculty to do that measurement. So that's really exciting work that we'll be doing. What made you change your academic role to move towards more educational development? Yeah, it's a great question. So I was lucky enough to um, be a part of the University of Wisconsin system, which actually is a great tradition for the scholarship of teaching and learning. So I was a Wisconsin teaching fellow, um, and then I was able to intersect with colleagues at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay, who are actually quite like well known in the field of scholarship of teaching and learning. Regan Garung, David Volker, Aaron Haney, some really impressive scholars, um, and so they were great mentors. And I became really invested in that work, but. A kind of inflection point for me was when I was unit chair of the humanities and I went to an event on our campus that was run by our uh, institutional research office. And the amazing director of institutional research wanted to show um, data about equity gaps in course grades and courses across the institution. So she was showing kind of inequities that exist at our institution generally for students. And then she decided to narrow in on a specific unit and she chose the humanities unit. Uh, And I think she did that really strategically. I mean, often we associate kind of uh, fields that engage students with issues around diversity as those that are gonna actually have more equitable outcomes. And what she wanted to show was that "Mm, that's not necessarily the case, right? Uh, And so that was pretty devastating for me and for my colleagues to see that there were these 
relatively substantive equity gaps and outcomes for our students. Uh, and so at in the next unit chair meeting with our dean, we kind of, um, me and other unit chairs commiserated. We were devastated. We felt, um, you know, we were fired up to do something. And we said, so what are we going to do? Like, what, you know, what are we going to collectively going to do? What are we going to individually do? And there were no resources necessarily, right? So we had the data, but we didn't necessarily have the structures or resources to engage with that data. And so that really motivated me to change things, right? Um, data itself can't promote change, just data. Right. And so that was really motivational for me. And I started partnering with the uh, director of student success at that institution, um, who was also really interested in these questions and saw faculty as um, formative in supporting more equitable environments versus just thinking about creating student success infrastructure around faculty. So you mentioned creating more equitable environments. What does that look like? On the one hand, it means to what degree are students uh, experiencing our courses equitably, right? So do our courses feel relevant to all students, right? Um, are the purpose of the assignments aligned with the things that they find relevant and of value? Are we creating identity-safe classrooms where students of all identities feel safe, respected, and valued? Um, are we fostering a sense of social belonging and mattering amongst our students so they feel seen, understood? Do they perceive a sense of trust and fairness? Do they feel as though we're treating them fairly and that other students are treating them fairly, right? So a lot of it has to do with kind of the culture that we create and the structures that we create, as well as the way in which we engage them with the content of our disciplines. The reasons that there's inequity in higher education is because there's inequity in the system, right? And there's only so much we as individuals can control. Think about the structures of our courses, whether you're talking about course size, the actual physical structure of classrooms, or even the online modality, like the, the decisions that were made about size, shape, all of that were based on you know, pretty outdated modes of thinking about what teaching and learning looks like. It's difficult as an individual to disrupt that if I'm in, for example, a classroom that has stadium seating. That is suggestive that I'm the sage on the stage and the students are kind of receptors of my knowledge. And that's not a particularly equitable way of thinking about teaching and learning. Uh, and so, you know, also course sizes, right? I mean, there's a lot of evidence about um, the importance of engagement with students, direct engagement. When you have really large classes and you have multiple classes that are of that size, that becomes challenging, right? So, and, you know, in order for faculty to engage in equity-minded teaching, there needs to be structures in place that allow them to do that. And another structure is that that work is recognized and rewarded, right? So that is something that is seen of, of value and that the kind of effective and emotional labor that goes into equity-minded teaching is also recognized and spread equitably amongst the faculty versus considered like the province of certain faculty within the discipline, such as, depending on the discipline, women, or um, you know, people of color, faculty of color. So Caroline, can you define some of these key terms that I know we're gonna discuss a lot today? Let's start with equality versus equity. Equity, particularly in the context of teaching and learning, is a providing an environment and learning opportunities where all students are able to achieve outcomes, right? Um, I would also say that all students have an equitable experience, right? So that when they're reflecting on their experience within their education, it, it, everyone is talking positively or thinking positively about that because they feel valued and respected, right? Equality is more about, you know, every student has um, equal access to learning, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that all students are going to achieve the same rate um, or that they are going to experience it the same, right? And so equality is kind of the goal. Equity is how we get there is right. one of the ways Ways of thinking about it. What's some of the support that you provide faculty through the Delphi Center? 
Well, one of the things that's really important to being an equity-minded practitioner is first kind of critical reflection on why inequities exist, right, and your relationship to those. Um, and so often, you know, there's this really great um, keynote that I listened to uh, by uh, a scholar in the field who talks about how uh, people often came to him um, and said, you know, uh, he studies, for example, he studies success for um, African-American and Latinx males in, in higher education. And he said that people come to him and say, can you just give me a sheet uh, with best practices, right? So that I, like, what do they need? Like, just give me a sheet of tips. And he was like, it doesn't quite work like that, right? We actually have to start with perceptions, right? So we have to think about how we're perceiving our students, right? And how our perceptions about our students actually affect, right, their experience. Uh, and then next, we actually have to build mutual relationships, right? There needs to be that sense of trust and fairness, that kind of recognition that you care about who they are um, and you care about their values and that you want to make an equitable and uh, relevant experience for them. Then we can get to the practices, right? And there are certainly practices that um, support equity, right? Um, but it's really important that we first start thinking about our own mindsets, right? Uh, origins of structural inequities in higher education, and again, our own relationship to them. I um, presented with a student and another faculty member once at a women in science program in the UW system. And we were talking about a program that we ran that was called Equity Fellows, um, Equity Gap Fellows program, where faculty came to us to work um, a, to reduce the gaps in their courses, right? And one of the things we had them do was actually restructure their syllabus, right? So look closely at their syllabus to see what degree the language was reflective of an equity mindset, uh, to what degree the, the course design itself was reflective of that, right? So for example, does your course um, actually demonstrate a belief in growth mindset, right? So that students have the opportunity to grow over the course of the semester. Is that represented in the way you assess them? Um, and uh, we were presenting on this and we had a person raise their hand and ask a question. And more or less they asked, you know, I don't know how to support my students when they don't get a, a difficult concept because it was so easy for me, right? So I don't quite understand how to do that. Um, but they did say it in a way that was suggestive that it also wasn't their responsibility, right? Like the tone was suggestive. And the student, this is a student who is um, now a medical student, right, a different institution, uh, more or less said, well, you know, you need to recognize that you had privileges that many of your students don't have, right? And that it's your responsibility to teach all of your students, right? And to think about the supports that they need to be successful, but not to suggest that they don't have the capacity for success, right? There are people who think that being an inclusive or equity-minded instructor means that you are not a rigorous instructor or that you don't believe in rigor. And that's absolutely not true. In fact, studies show that you need to demonstrate a firm belief that you have high standards, but that all of your students can meet those standards, but that you're going to provide them the supports necessary to get there, right? And those might not all be coming from you, right? They were coming from the host of resources that are available at your institution, and you're connecting students with those resources. One of the things that uh, I work with faculty with is about the, the development of their own growth mindset. And so that is part of it. If, if faculty are not aware of, you wouldn't, a lot of times faculty are not even familiar with the concept of a growth mindset and providing them that knowledge that you need to uh, provide experiences 
to all your students to help them meet their objectives and your objectives. Because a lot of times in the, uh, the professional schools, it's like, what do you want to learn from the learner, right, perspective? And so you need to help them get there. Um, and it can be difficult if faculty just, you know, ah, I don't know what to do with them. They can't get it. You know, that's that's not, you need to change your point of view and think about it from the learner's standpoint. Well, I'm thinking about the, the clinical faculty who maybe have a student on rotation for only a couple weeks. They don't have a formal syllabus that they could change or anything else. And it's, you know, what, um, what can faculty who are interacting with students in a limited amount of time, is there something that, advice that you could give them? We talk about growth mindset in the sense we need to instill it in our students, right? They need to understand that their uh, intelligence is not fixed and they have the capacity to grow. But increasingly, studies show that what really matters is the degree to which we're demonstrating a growth mindset about it. So the ways in which you frame your feedback in particular to those learners, right? Um, that you're not doing a feedback sandwich, which is uh, study shows ineffective, but rather that you're articulating precisely your expectations. Um, and then again, your the belief that you have they have the capacity to meet those expectations. I think that it looks different within that context, but it's still fundamental to how we teach. Just yesterday, I worked with a group of interns. So these are first year residents. Um, and that was my message to them. They have to create what we call a safe learning environment. And I said, you have to do this every single day with every single learner you interact with. And I told them it can take 30 seconds. All right, guys, I want you to know what we're gonna be doing today. I may ask you some questions. It's okay to get them wrong. Don't worry about it. We're all learning. You know, we're gonna get there and I want you guys to feel, you know, comfortable asking me questions. Does anybody have anything? All right let's go to the first clinic door, right? And so it's, it can be that quick, mm -hmm. but you still need to take the step and do it day in and day out because sometimes they hear it, sometimes they don't. So Stacy, Laura, I'm glad you, you pivoted into the health sciences implications of this conversation we're having. Uh, it, it is just different. So much of the clinical teaching that happens is not classroom-based, uh, certainly after the first two years in medical school. And, but, but, and, it, and it is often short-lived. So you may be on a clinical rotation where you have these students or residents with you for really only a matter of days. Then you rotate off, one of your colleagues takes your place in the hospital, and yet those students have a different instructor now for three to five days. And, and so in that environment, it's easy to not pay attention to these kind of things. Um, but what, what we hear consistently from our learners on the health science campus is they don't receive feedback that they think is specific enough or actionable. There are some unique features of this environment. There's some unique challenges because we are providing clinical care while dealing with the education issues and dealing with learners at multiple levels. It's not like I got a classroom of freshmen I'm talking about psychology. I got five levels of learners with me and I'm seeing patients and dealing with whatever happens in that environment. However, there are some advantages of that environment yes. that I'd point out. You're not one person with 150 students in front of you. It's one with two or three or at most four. And in that context, you have a much more a much richer environment where you might be able to have that short conversation to set the stage, is what we describe it as, where you comfort them that there are going to be questions, there are going to be issues. If you don't get it right, it's okay. You're here to learn. 
it's a safe place to make predictions and be wrong and set it up so that they know that. So I think there are some distinct advantages for our health sciences faculty to use these kinds of principles literally in the moment while they're going bed to bed, clinic room to clinic room. I just want to throw that in there for those listeners so that they can grab from this, okay, that's how I might provide an equity-focused environment tomorrow when I'm making rounds in the hospital. One of the things that when you're an equity-minded practitioner you do is you um, are very closely assessing the degree to which your students are learning, um, the student learning is equitable, right? And so within the context of clinical practice, right, what does that look like and what are the barriers for students who are historically marginalized within your field, right? So first identifying if there are those equity issues is important part of it, but then, you know, collecting data about that, that is not just re relevant to your discipline, but to the specific context of your course and your students, I think is a big part of being an equity-minded practitioner. So listening to the experience of your students, right? A lot of um, students experience or learners experience identity threat, right? So, you know, to what degree do they feel that if they, um, you know, aren't quote unquote correct in the moment, they are representing their entire, um, everyone who has their identity, right? That can really affect performance and that's been well studied, right? So those are the sorts of things that we should be doing as we're thinking about what does it mean to be an equity-minded practitioner. From the learner's perspective, whether they're students or residents, they may see in a given month on pediatrics five, six, eight different faculty members that are playing some role in their education as people cross cover and you know, they're, they're there for an extended period of time. Almost no faculty member does 30 days straight in the hospital anymore. And so from their perspective, they have to always be wondering, I wonder what they want from me. And it would be nice if each one at the outset said, here are my expectations about how rounds are going to go or my expectations of how you will engage in the process or I only want you to watch me during this operation as opposed to you doing anything to try to help me. Uh, and then we'll talk after the fact um, so that they know because you see it in their eyes. They're afraid. They're not quite sure what to expect from this person. They may have a reputation of being challenging with uh, learners in the clinical environment. And none of them want to look bad. They don't want to make a, state, a mistake, certainly in front of a patient or parent um, or, or you. And these are high-stakes environments for them. And to the extent that you can de-escalate that tension just by letting them know, look, here's what I expect. Here's how we're going to do it. This is when I'm going to ask questions. After we come out of the room, we will sit for two minutes and we'll take a, a, a poll of where everybody is. We'll ask a couple questions, make sure everybody's on the same page, and then we'll move to the next patient. Just so it removes some of the fog of, I don't know if they're going to, this, this person's going to come after me next and the tension that comes with that. So that, I think that's a very important um, uh, learning point for listeners on the health sciences campus who have clinical responsibilities and learners in tow. Talking about um, the experience of the learner kind of going um, from one kind of immediate clinical context to another pretty quickly, um, and the opportunity for the instructor or the faculty member to give feedback is limited because of that. It, it was making me think of um, another research project I participated in where we actually studied faculty experience of teaching culminating experiences, right? So, and the pressures on faculty who are teaching those culminating experiences to do all of the integration. And so 
support all of the transfer of knowledge within the context of that one experience, right? Because um, I honestly think regardless of discipline, with a few exceptions, um, a lot of faculty design the learning experiences independently. Right, They're not necessarily in conversation with our colleagues. Maybe when they're constructing the curriculum at the beginning, like what you know, the various experiences our learners need to go through in order to complete their degree. But then there's a lot of autonomy and agency, which on the one hand is great for motivation, right? Our study showed that that was great for motivation. But on the other hand, doesn't necessarily lend to the outcomes in the way that we originally envisioned when we're constructing it, because there's not that back and forth conversation about where and how that learning's happening. And it affects a curriculum, particularly a curriculum that is stacked, right? And a lot of the sciences, of course, the curriculum is highly stacked and students aren't gonna be successful in this one context if they weren't in the previous context in which they were doing learning that relates, right? And so one of the challenges I think about the way our institutions are structured um, when it comes to equity-minded work is that, like, for example, if I start talking to my learners in a certain context about different types of epistemologies they might want to consider when they're dealing with a specific research problem, and then they go to another context that it talks very kind of disparagingly about those epistemologies, then am I setting them up for success, right? So that's a challenge for me. I want my students to be, and my learners to be successful, but at the same time, I don't want them to feel confined to thinking just about, for example, a Western way of doing things, right? But I also need to talk to them about the reality of, hey, you might go into another learning context in which the person in charge of that disagrees fundamentally with the idea that multiple epistemologies are fine in this context, yeah. right? Uh, and so that's one of the challenges that I see when it comes to structural reasons why inequities kind of persist, right? Mm -hmm. So I might be able to provide a culturally responsive environment for my students where I'm trying very hard to ensure that the purpose feels relevant to them. Them, right, the purpose of that learning experience. But if they then go to someone else. someone else in which that experience is not replicated, right, that that is going to affect their experience, right? And so a lot of it comes down to the ways in which we structure priorities, right, within context. And I don't mean to say this as like, oh, this is an easy change, right? Um, higher education exists the way that it has for a long time for reasons, right? Uh, faculty research is extremely important. By no means am I suggesting that we we should not prioritize research. Um, but when uh, faculty research is potentially the main reason that faculty are retained or promoted, it becomes difficult for faculty to find the space and time to become equity mind practitioners, or at least to feel that that work is something that is valued institutionally, right? Um, and so then when we're thinking about all the motivation having to be intrinsic, right, uh, there are also certain subtle cues or situational cues that suggest that certain people need to engage in that work and other people do not, right? And that that also is a huge problem when it comes to creating equitable environments for students or for learners uh, in any context, frankly. Um, and so, you know, it's a system-wide problem. I mean, the degree to which teaching is of value, and that's expressed in the structures of our institution, and then ultimately in the culture and the way in which we interact with one another, is a huge problem. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are trying to work on it in higher education in the U.S., so frankly, across the globe. Um, but there are no easy solutions that are out there. So we always ask our guests, what's the one thing that you would like listeners to do after they hear this episode? So one thing I encourage folks to do is to check out the book um, from Equity Talk to Equity Walk, um, which asks a lot of the questions we've been talking about today, but then also gives you specific strategies that you can follow within your own practice. And luckily, that is a ebook that we have access to through UofL Library, so everyone will have access to it.
And I will certainly provide that information in the show notes. And I have a physical copy in my office if somebody wants to come visit me. Caroline Boswell, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you want to up your game or enhance your skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make the University of Louisville a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to discover and connect. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional resources about today's episode. And feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and come hungry.